When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, my friend, are listening to Come On Man, a 3% Man podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bauer, and I am on the road to being a 3% man just like you. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast for fellow students of Cordy Wayne's book, How to Be a 3% Man, and for men who just want to be better in general. We talk about dating, gaining wealth, being happy, and using the law of attraction to get everything we want in life. Hey, welcome back, guys, to another exciting week of the Come On Man podcast and uh, the last podcast of 2021. This week is extremely special. Uh, I put out an intention. <laughs> My guest, if he if he watches this, is probably going to get a chuckle at this because uh, on his shows he talks about you know these uh, dating coaches and stuff like that that go all, I think what he calls it is woo-woo and chakras and stuff like that. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm like, I'm a law of attraction guy. I am, but I, you know, I authentically believe in it. But so anyways, he'll get a chuckle out of it. But I put on my goal board an intention of getting, you know, two really big authors on the podcast this year. And, uh, you know, one of my, one of them was, uh, Dr. Robert Glover, the other one I'm still working on, but one I didn't expect is today's guest. He is the author of the number one best-selling series, the rational male. And he's also widely regarded as the godfather of the red pill, which you'll find he's actually pretty humble about that title. <laughs> He's actually a pretty solid dude. He's a pretty good guy. You know, for a guy who is so well known in the space, he's so down to earth. You know, I really appreciate uh, his flexibility. You'll see that throughout this episode, I have I go through a little bit of uh, or a couple of wardrobe changes, right? That's because I mean I typically film these intros and like, you know, the closing words at the, at the end of my podcasts, uh, you know, on a completely separate day. But during this episode, uh, Mr. Tomasi had a, some technical difficulties and in the middle of recording, like all of a sudden his video froze up on me. I was like, what the, what the hell is going on here? It turns out he had some kind of power outage thing going on and he uh, like his whole system shut down on him. Uh, and it's because like, you know, I use Zoom and I guess Zoom doesn't jive with his equipment. And uh, when the power went out and it came back up, he uses, you know, Apple products. And I guess Apple tries to bring all the apps that you had open back up. And Zoom was just, you know, frozen there and, and wouldn't let anything else start. So he, he uh, you know, he had to take do some uh, 
diagnostics on on his Mac and he had to take a backup because that hadn't happened in a long time. And, you know, he uses that for his livelihood. So that makes sense. And uh, what I thought was really cool, though, was, you know, obviously we couldn't finish recording. And, you know, he and I had chatted off air about like, you know, his upcoming schedule and how busy he was. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I only got like 35 minutes out of this, but I guess, you know, he's a busy guy. You know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. I really appreciate it. And he's like, no, let's meet tomorrow at 1 p.m. And let, let's finish this up. Let's wrap this up. And not only did he do that, when he met with me, we got a whole extra hour and a half <laughs> conversation out of it. So this is uh, probably, I think, the longest episode I've, I've ever produced. But it's also, you know, I think one of the best because it's got Rolo Tomasi. Um, yeah, it was really cool. And I'll bring you that conversation right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I often get inundated in my DMs on TikTok and Instagram with guys asking me for online dating tips. How should I respond to this message? How should I set up my profile? How do I start a conversation? Look guys, I'm a podcast host, not a dating coach. That's why I've partnered with one of the best dating coaches in the industry. You may know him as Performance Potential on TikTok, but I know him as Evan. And Evan has come up with one of the best dating app coaching programs in the industry that he's calling The Dating Dynamic. If you click the link in the description and use my promo code COMEONMAN30 at checkout, you will get 30% off the cost of his program because you're one of my listeners. You often hear that 80% of women are only going for the top 20% of men on dating apps. Well, this course is guaranteed to show you how you can be in that top 20%. So quit complaining and do something about it. Click the link in the description to sign up for the Dating Dynamic program today and get 30% off when you use my promo code COMEONMAN30. Again, click the link in the description and get 30% off when you use my promo code COMEONMAN30. Be in the top 20%. All right, joining me this week is a very special guest. Some consider him to be the godfather of the red pill. He's the author of the highly influential Rational Mail book series, the latest of which, Religion, was released earlier this year. He's kind of a big deal. You may have heard of him. He's kind Rolo of Tomasi. <laughs> kind of a big, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. And by the way, I should I, I, I let me point this out here from the very beginning. Um, I did not give myself the title Godfather of the Manosphere. By the way, um, I know I, it. Just recently, I was reminded of how I got that that title. It was actually from Pat Campbell from. Uh, from the the uh, Pat Campbell show, and uh, when he was still around, I just went to his memorial uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But somebody reminded me; they said, "You know, that's where you got that name." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, if I'll, I'll." I, I mean, it, it sort of I fits, accept. though, right? I mean, I accept. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I think it's if you self-proclaim yourself that. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. But and there's a lot of guys that are doing that now. So right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But if everyone else calls you that, then I think it's fine. I think it, I think it sticks. So as I, I told you, when I, when I first reached out to you, I recently had 
Paul Benjamin on from Apex Mindset. And, you know, he's a regular panelist on Rule Zero with you. And after that recording, he and I were just chatting a bit about your work. And he mentioned that one of the motivations for you to study the red pill and, and subsequently start your blog and write your books was to save men's lives. And uh, I'm sure most people want to interview about red pill and hypergamy or, or whatever, but I, I was like, you know what? I would rather talk to, talk to Rolo about that topic. Mm-hmm. How, how does your work actually save lives? Well, um, I didn't set out to like save guys' lives. I, let, me, let me just be honest and you know, full disclosure here. When I first got into what is now the manosphere and what we call the red pill, we didn't even really call it red pill. Like I wasn't, I didn't even start using that terminology until probably around 2004 or 2005. Um, I used to be a, a moderator on a forum back in the mid 2000s called uh, the SoSwap Forum, which is still there today here in 2021, by the way. So it's, it has quite the, uh, quite the hair of the pedigree. And um, we would just have conversations and we didn't call it, the, there was no, no official manosphere. There was no like men's air, you know, group. We, we call it the community maybe, um, but it was a seduction community at that time. And it was like, uh, you know, mystery method and pickup artists. And we were just sort of guys getting together and comparing notes. And over the course of about 10 years, um, yeah, maybe a little bit, maybe eight or nine years, um, we had a lot of really good back and forth and discourse. And I was, I was studying um, psychology at that time. I had double majored uh, as a result of that. Uh, I, I minored in psychology initially because I wanted to be able to understand my clients and the people that I had to work with in marketing, graphic design, and all that other stuff. And then when I started getting into uh, doing peer counseling for older men, uh, because nobody wanted to do those, those peer, can- you know, when you're doing like uh, counsel work as, you know, sort of an undergrad, I guess. Um, everybody wants like the sexy stuff, right? They want to, they want to do the research for, <laughs> you know, for, for college co-eds and stuff. And, and I was, I went back to college to get my, well, my degrees as an older guy. Like I was, I was in my, my early thirties when I got my degree and, um, nobody wanted to do, you know, work with 45 to 65 year old male demographic. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Right. And um, it was about that time that my, uh, my brother-in-law, who was married to my wife's sister at that time, uh, ended up committing suicide. And I was in the manosphere, what would become the manosphere at that time when that happened. It was right around 2003. And um, I, uh, it wasn't like people always ask me, when was your red pill moment? I, I, it was gradual. It wasn't like there wasn't some big crisis or some big, you know, come to Jesus moment or something like that. I think a lot of people think that that was, um, that was definitely an eye opener for sure. But um, my, um, my brother-in-law ended up putting a rope around his neck because of, you know, he'd been done everything right. You know, he married um, my, uh, my sister-in-law at a very early age because he had knocked her up. Um, he, I think he was, he would have been like 20 one or 22. I think she was like 19 and everybody thought he was going to bail. And they thought, you know, he's, he's out of here. Forget it. You know, he's just, you know, hit it and quit it. And he didn't, he did the right thing. He put his entire life on hold. He was, he had all these plans to go to college and everything else. And he completely changed his life and rearranged his life to do the right thing. Like we, we hear that all the time mm-hmm. and uh, even today. And 
And, you know, to his credit, that's what he did. And right around the time he was just about 40 years old and his first, I had two, two children and right about the time his first son was already away at, uh, at, already away at college and his daughter was just about done with high school. That's when my sister-in-law decided she wanted to take up with the guy who was a millionaire. And that was the worst thing he could think of because he had built his entire life around the, the happily ever after. Right. Um, and right about the, point at which he was about to become like an empty nester. Um, that's when when the worst his worst fears were realized for him. And it wasn't even so much that I, you know, what, what had happened right then. I, he'd been zeroed out is what I call it. Um, I've, I've done several essays and several talks about, you know, guys getting zeroed out, particularly now because, uh, you know, men, was, it, depending on whose numbers you're using, men, you know, commit suicide. Sorry about that. Uh, men commit suicide in uh, between three and a half to five times as often as women do, like successfully complete suicide. And I didn't know that at the time. In fact, that's what the numbers are right now. Um, but I wasn't, it wasn't when I got into writing what I write and, and starting the blog and starting the books, uh, it wasn't because, oh, I'm just, I'm going to do my best to keep the, the noose off of these guys' neck. It, it was more like my analytical, rational, you know, rational male uh, understanding of intersexual dynamics, but that incident kind of changed my mind about how I thought about things. Cause he was, he had been zeroed out. He basically lived his entire life as sort of like this blue pill beta male guy doing the right thing. And then right around, you know, age 40, uh, all of the plans and everything else that the, the guy had done, you know, bought property here and was you know, just really planning for the future, which is what we would expect from like what mostly traditional conservatives really expect from like responsible men. And here he was, um, you know, facing uh, losing the, the best thing that he ever had. And, you know, he'd done everything by the book, by the old order books. And, and nobody saw this coming, by the way. I mean, it wasn't, he wasn't like he was, wasn't walking around like Eeyore or something like that. He wasn't depressed. He's just, it was just the most pragmatic decision. And it was kind of like Anthony Bourdain or one of these, you know, like I, I would, I would argue maybe even uh, Robin Williams, but they get zeroed out, not because they're zeroed out financially, but they're zeroed out up here. And they're like, okay, I'm, I'm losing my one. I'm losing my soulmate. Everything that I built up, uh, everything that I had changed my life, it changed all the plans for my life so that I could get to this point. And now uh, the, the rules, nobody's playing by the rules that, um, that everybody convinced me for so long that everybody should be playing by. And when you get zeroed out like that, um, you have really two decisions. You, you can either rebuild yourself or you can off yourself. And most guys off themselves because they, they don't see how they can go at, at 45, 45, 55, 65. This, these were the guys I was counseling, you know, back in when I was doing my, my undergraduate stuff. And they, they would say very similar things to what was going on with my, my brother-in-law. And I should also mention that I've had, I've, I've experienced suicide twice, um, once with him and then another really good friend of mine who was a, a, D, a local DJ. And I mean, like on the radio DJ um, in, uh, in Reno, Nevada here, basically swallowed a bullet, you know, put a gun in his mouth because his one was leaving him. And it was that, that's the very first um, chapter in uh, the Rational Male, the first book, is uh, There Is No One. It is the myth of the soulmate. And I put that chapter as the very first one because I felt like if 
somebody reads this book and they just only read one chapter and they throw it away afterwards. Like, ah, this is misogyny, whatever. That's the one chapter I want to stick with, with guys, because I thought, I still think to this day that a lot of guys, especially, you know, more blue pill beta guys who are just sort of brought up on this Disney fantasy or idealizing women or pedestalizing, you know, we call pedestalization. Um, they end up changing their lives or, or catering and molding their lives around the idea of a one, like a soulmate or the, you know, a pickup artist used to call it one-itis or catching feelings or whatever. Um, and then getting to that point where if you take that one away, they, you know, all the songs like Michael Bolton, right. You know, how can I, how am I supposed to live without you? You know, that kind of stuff, yeah. that, that, that kind of stuff, the 80s power ballad stuff. When you take that stuff to heart and you keep telling yourself, uh, how, how am I supposed to live without you? And then she's gone or how, you know, I, I can't live without you. Well, some guys literally can't live without the girl. And so I, I think that if there's like a, a, a motivating theme, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it sort of inspired me, but it's moved me on to a lot of other, other things too. It's not just, it's sure. not just about that. I mean, it's, it's also understanding intersexual dynamics. It's understanding, um, uh, you know, women's nature, men's nature, evolutionary psychology, evolutionary biology. Um, there's so many subfields, I think, to the red pill and the manosphere right now that it we kind of get lost in the jargon, you know, like the, the jingoism, alpha this and beta that and high value man and, right, and right. red pill and blue pill and white pill and purple pill and black pill and this pill and that pill, and whatever pill, you know. <laughs> and it's like, do we get lost in these really you know, these really easily digestible, you know, um, cartoonish sound bites. And I think it really kind of uh, debases the real value of the manosphere and the red pill in general, because there's so much behind it. It's not just about, oh, how can I get laid? That's not what it's about anymore. Maybe it was in the beginning. Maybe it was back in, you know, 2002. <laughs> right now, we're, we're looking at, you know, things like sociopolitical implications of the the nature between men and women why do guys want to get laid why do guys you know what is it about reproduction why are fertility rates so low why do we have kamala harris as the vice president of the united states um why is why did why did trump win and hillary not we can use red pill praxology to understand why those those things happened so it's much broader than just than just like oh well these those guys just think with their dicks and it's it's not. In fact, I think that kind of cheapens it. And when I see like dating coaches and like you were mentioning before, um, dating coaches and stuff, it's like that's when I kind of have to like take issue with that because you become an impediment to people really understanding the totality of what the manosphere should be or could be or like red pill under I call it a praxeology. Right. It's not about it's not about belief. It's not about politics. It's not about like alt right. It's not, no. It's about like understanding the nature of men and women and how we interact and how that scales up from you know just boyfriend and girlfriend getting together in middle school to all the way to you know socio political stuff. So yeah, I would agree with that. I would say you know I I got into all of this stuff uh, like earlier last year. Um, I had gone through uh, a breakup in 2019 and it was after, this was the second like long-term relationship I had after my marriage mm -hmm. ended. And when that ended, I was like, what the, like, 
I, I didn't feel like killing myself. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I don't, some guys don't, don't look at, you know, as like, that's an option. How, how, how old are you, Paul? I'm 42. 42. How, when was your, when was your, how long was your first marriage? And like, when did you get divorced? I was married for 14 years. Uh, so you got married kind of young. Like, in, what, how old oh, were you when you got married? I got, oh man, talk about blue pill sims. I, <laughs> I got married uh, when I was uh, 20 years old. I wasn't even old enough to drink yet. Mm-hmm. I was uh, rushing for that white picket fence fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I would say 14 years is pretty solid run, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, by, by the last seven of it, you know, I was completely miserable. And so when she actually filed for divorce, you know, I, I certainly didn't feel like suicide. I felt like a tremendous weight had lifted off my chest, you know? Um, I mean, the biggest fight was how much money I had to pay her now money and what's going to happen with the kids. But once mm-hmm. that got settled out, it was like, okay, I can move forward. Mm-hmm. And then, but I still was in that blue pill mindset, not necessarily, I think I was pretty much done with marriage at the time, but uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, find my soulmate and uh, ended up rushing into my next relationship was with this gal for four and a half years. And then that sort of ended. And I was like, what am I doing wrong here? You know, what am I not understanding? And I decided to start really researching the stuff. I started reading tons of books. And one thing I realized in trying to understand women better and trying to get better with women is that it tends to just make you more of a better man in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting way that when you fix yourself, uh, you fix other aspects of your life and you don't even realize it when you're going down this path. And I kind of, to me, that's kind of what the red pill really should be all about or what it really is all about, at least to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll, I digress. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I mean, you're, you're having, um, you're at a, you're at a place right now, I think. Um, where a lot of guys end up coming to like um, a lot of the guys in the old school pickup artists, like the old school um, seduction community said something very similar to that. Like after a while, they begin to discover that becoming good with women requires like a social skill set that they didn't have. Uh-huh. And the reason why they didn't have that is because they didn't have the right frame of mind about themselves at that time. And so it becomes so like when I talk with like Rich Cooper or if I'm talking to guys who are just sort of like, you know, chase excellence guys or even, you know, Paul Benjamin is probably a good example of that as well. Um, it's that is as a result of, hey, I want to get laid. What, what am I? You're asking exactly the same question that most guys do. It's just, how, what am I doing wrong here? And then you learn, oh, this is what. Okay, so you end up changing your mind, not necessarily. Well, maybe at the same time, but not necessarily about um, about like your your process as it is about why it is you do that process in the first place. And so mm-hmm. it becomes, it starts to become something about like self improvement, and that's how you get like self improvement and sort of what I call you know positivity porn guys, successful porn guys yeah, yeah. come in come into the circle. And it's real, it's a real easy sell because guys are going through that process. And that's another thing that get sort of swept under the carpet when people want to say, well, those red pill guys are radicalizing the youth of America and they're turning them into black pill doomers and mm-hmm. they're incels and they're potentially violent and everything else. And what they don't see is that like guys like you or guys like that. I talk to all you know, pretty much everybody on, on rule zero talks to um, these guys, they, 
they're not looking just to increase their notch count. They're they're looking to like become something better, to become something more, to like go from ordinary to extraordinary. And they don't realize that they need to change their minds about themselves before they can do any of that. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. In fact, that, that's a, a lot of what the conversation I had with, with Paul was because when, and I'll be, I'll be candid with you when I, before I read your book, uh, I was running into a lot of guys in uh, this Facebook group I'm a part of the, the 3% man group. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of uh, Rolo guys on there and they were coming in and they were um, some of these guys were very negative, you know, like just with their posts. And so I started, I mean, it hadn't, I hadn't even read your book yet. And I was like, man, you know, this, this Rolo Tomasi guy just seems like, mm-hmm. you know, he must be real negative, but I really wanted to read your book to just, you know, because I felt like I couldn't actually speak on this if I didn't actually consume the material. And I, when I read your book, that's not what I got out of it. I wasn't like, this is all just women hating nonsense. I mean, it's actually very good information. I feel like you don't have a complete understanding of women if you don't understand the evolutionary psychology of women and the actual sexual dynamics between men and women. You know, everything else is idealistic, I would say. That's why it's called the rational male. And there's a lot of, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this in the chat, in the introduction or the opening chapters of pretty much all four of my books. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I have to tell guys, you know, all the stuff that you have in your head that's been packed into your head over the course of a lifetime, you kind of have to put that aside right now. And what I'm going to get into is going to piss you off. Some of it you're going to go, yeah, nobody ever put it that way. And you're going to go, yeah. And you're going to go, oh man, really? Mm-hmm. And it's going to change. It, it, it'll change you up in, in a lot of different ways. But I think one of the, the toughest things is, is that a lot of guys right now in particular, like I would say like really since 2018, the rise of like the, the so-called, you know, black pill movement or like the really more extreme end of mid or the incel movement. Mm-hmm. The, those guys have been around for a long time, by the way. Um, yeah. They used to be called true force loneliness. They've been around really, gosh, all, you know, for a long time, but they're not as, or they, they didn't have the access or the w- ability to organize like they do now, like on YouTube or Reddit or discord or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that one of the misnomers or mistakes that, that uh, people make is that red pill is black pill. And it's not In fact, black pill guys hate me quite a bit because I, while I bring up like tough realities for people to sort of, you know, sort out for themselves, sometimes those are really unflattering about guys who just simply don't like want to change their mind. They, they're happy in their misery. You know, they're happy in their complacency. And so when a guy comes along and says, you know, here's, here's, here's what hypergamy is, right? And here's the biological, sociological, evolutionary, um, you know, facts. Here's the dots I've connected behind hypergamy as far as, you know, alpha seed, beta need and uh, being women's primary mating strategy. And some guys take that and they go, yeah, now I know. Now I can use this information and the, all of these tools that Rolo's giving me to, to, you know, at least I'm making educated, informed decisions now and I can go forward with the next relationship, whatever else. So you can take it that way. 
Or you can take it the doomer way, which is why bother? Who cares? I'm not, I'm never going to be that, that top, you know, 10% guy. I don't have a chiseled jawline. I don't have a V taper. I'm never going to be anything like that. And look, even if I did hypergamy says that, um, you know, even if I got with her, she's always looking for the bigger and better deal. So I, you know, forget it. I'm going to tap out. I'm done with this whole, the whole sexual marketplace thing. So you can take it both ways. And that's, I think that's the toughest part for a lot of guys is because it's challenging their ego invested beliefs, not only in what they think should be. Sometimes it's about their, the beliefs, uh, like their, their, their own convictions, whether, you know, personal convictions or else it's challenging what they think should work. And then when I put out, when I, when I put something else in, you know, in empirical data or whatever else, um, you can either take that and use it as a tool or you can use it as something to tear yourself down with. And what you're experiencing, I think, in the, the 1% group or the guys who think that uh, my work is like negative or whatever, I've heard that a million times, by the way. I mean, sure, I've been sure. listening to that since I, I remember it's what I call the truthful anger phase. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a point where I right after I published um, the first book, The Rational Mail, Right around 2014, 2015, only like a year, maybe two years after the book started picking up steam and it was maturing in the in what we now call the manosphere, guys were taking that book and they were going to uh, RSD seminars, which is real social dynamics with Owen Cook and, and Julian Blanc and some of the guys who used to be back in the, the old PUA community. They're still around now, but they had their instruct their instructors and they'd be at a, a you know a seminar or whatever well you know a hot seat or whatever it was that they were charging you know god knows how much money for and the guys who were their quote unquote students would come into the class and they would say what do you think about what rollo tomasi says about this what do you think about the information that's in this book mm-hmm. well, they had so many guys that would come up and 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 I say challenge them but just wanted to know what their opinions were on what was in the book that it forced these guys to actually read the book finally. Mm-hmm. And that I, I mean, there was time, I probably still have them somewhere. Uh, I was had, you know, email discourse between myself and Owen Cook for a while. And so, you know, they forced them to read the book. And then of course, what they say is now what they said, or well, back then anyways, because they don't do it anymore. But back then they used to say, well, Rolo's great stuff. And it's, it's very factual. It's very true, but it's truthful anger. It comes from a place of anger. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It comes from a place, uh, it, it comes from my obligation to objective truth, to understanding what the facts are, whether or not that, you know, I want, if they feel good to me or they feel bad to me, I want to know what the real, what the real truth is here, the, the factual data is. And what was happening was whenever I put out a new book or whenever these guys would, would talk about, you know, particular subjects that were in the book, they would acknowledge that what I was talking about was factual, correct, true, whatever. But then they would warn against it. They would say, "Well, it's don't 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 read it too much, or don't don't take it to heart too long, because if you do, it'll make you angry. It'll make you bitter. It'll basically using the same arguments that I hear like feminists and SJWs and all these other people who are like throwing rocks at me at the same time were using at that at that time as well, and." It comes down to one question, and I have to credit Ryan Stone also on Rule Zero for this. Is like he asked me this question. This is an old question. It's like, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Because a lot of uh, the real answer is, well, I'd rather be both. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, the problem is, is that sometimes when you're right, you can't be happy because the truth is something of a liability. It's an accountability. You've got to find some way to use it, and most people are unprepared for that. They would rather remain ignorant of that truth so that they can stay happy. 
And we're seeing that more and more, I think, these days, not just in a red pill sense, but just sort of in, in general, because we have such access to social media and instant news and all the stuff that's going on just in the world in general. But we were dealing with that question back in like 2013 mm-hmm. when people were saying, look, if you, if you focus too much on what Roll is saying, you're going to just end up really angry. It's true. <laughs> But you're think, angry because you got the truth. And I'm like, well, I think some guys are. Yeah, I think it really just depends on on the guy consuming the material. You know, right. uh, some Three people minutes. like I, I, and I, I was talking with Paul about this. <clears throat> you know, some people read it and then they just get their confirmation bias. They have they have these limiting beliefs already. They read it and they're just like, fuck women, you know, <laughs> whereas mm-hmm. a guy like me, I look at it and I go, oh, I never thought about that way before. OK. So women, yeah, then I have women to, don't then love I have the to way deal I with these, Then yeah. I have to deal with these guys who deliberately misinterpret it. Right. Because when I, and I'll just use RSD as an example here really quickly, is that um, when the book came out and these guys started you know, talking about this stuff in their seminars, I think what happened was it sort of the truth or happiness question kind of went against the positivity grift. That's why they called it mm-hmm. truth. It's truthful anger. It's like, no, it's not coming from a place of anger. It's a coming from a place of wanting to know what the real game is and what the, what I'm involved in here so that I can better leverage that in the future. That was going against what was like, hey, guys, let's all get all hyped up. And it's like this Tony Robbins stuff where we got to amp up the music and we all got to jump up and down like we're at a rock concert or something like that uh-huh. to get that sort of like euphoric feeling so that you're open, you know, the, whatever it is that they're talking about at that time, you'll, you're more willing to accept because that kind of happy positivity, you know, grift is something that, that that's what they were involved in. That's how they got new customers. People want to feel good. Why do we go see a rock concert? Right. I mean, because we want to, you know, go in there feeling like shit and we want to come out feeling like we're a hundred bucks. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's really what they're selling, but you don't get that. If you've got the rational mail sitting in your hand right there, that says, okay, here's watch out for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that's why you get the, Oh, he's angry. He's bitter. He's an incel. He's this. And it's like, I, all I do is hold up a mirror and you have to want to look in that mirror. Sure. I just connect dots and I allow other people to sort of decide what it is that they want to do. People will say this. I, this is my, my common quote is like, people want to say that, uh, that the red pill is so you'll, you'll hate women. If you, if you, if you get into that stuff, you read that stuff, you'll just hate women. And I will have said this a million times is that the red pill exists, not so you will hate women. But it is so you will not hate them for what they can never be to you. So you yeah, have yeah. an informed understanding of what's going on there. And, uh, you know, I, I still have to deal with people who are deliberately misinterpreting my work because by doing so, it makes whoever it is, whatever their market is, feel better about themselves because they're just basically ignoring what, what I have to say. And then second of all, they deliberately misinterpret what I'm doing because it doesn't, like you were saying before, it doesn't gel with the, with the convictions that they had before when they were going in. So consequently, I get, well, Rolo said that women can't never, can never love you. They'll never, there's no such thing as love for women. Here's Rolo. He's an authority. He just said this. And it's like, no, that's not. I've never heard you say that. I've heard uh, several other guys under, you know, they put the red pill label on their stuff say that mm. women look women don't love you you know it flows downhill and guys respect, love but, to buy that but you see right. they they're they, they're either too happy about that or they're too pissed off about that yeah and it's like that's not what it says and if you would read the book 
And if you would read what I say, like, it's always like, you know, one of the nine iron rules of Tomasi, because that's easy to digest. It's a list, right? It's 12 rules for life. That's not what it was ever meant to be, but that's where they take it because it's easier for them to interpret it and then re and then, you know, distort it and then pass it on to whoever else is there instead of going, well, let's read the book and find out what, you know, the, the 10th law of power says, like, why wouldn't you go and read the book and, and, and quote that? It's not like the Bible where you have to interpret it in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. It's just, there it is black and white. I've never said that women can't love it. In fact, I've, I've written essay after essay after essay, like trying to say like, you know, look, just because men and women have differing concepts or differing approaches to love, that doesn't mean that love doesn't exist. It just means that we have different concepts. And probably a lot of the problems that you're having as a result of that or trying to understand like why, why it is that women are one way and men are another way is because you think that they mutually agree on certain, certain concepts, love being one of them, respect being another, honor is another. There's all kinds of gendered concepts that we think the other sex has or holds mutually but they don't. They come to it at a, from a different angle than you do. Like jealousy means something really, really different from one guy to a woman. Mm-hmm. We get jealous. Like guys get jealous of, of uh, you know, like we mate guard and then women mate guard, but we do so for completely different reasons. But if you ask the, the common, you know, knowledge base of all of this, they'll just say, oh, it's just, you know, jealousy is just insecurity. No, it's not. It's actually an evolved psychological, you know, it's a feature, not a bug. But we don't understand. We want to believe that men and women are just the same. And so therefore love and for, for me and love for my wife is a mutual concept. No, it's not respect. It's not the mutual concept between men and women. If I say that, then I'm an asshole. If I go and I point this out in no uncertain terms, then it's truthful, but you're angry because you brought it up in the first place. And, and it just goes against that positivity grift primarily. It's the, it's the idea that uh, if, if it's either truthful or it's, it makes you happy. And if you, you can't, you can sell happiness way before you can sell truth. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so the, I told, I told Paul this, um, and I, I want to get your take on it. Um, what I tend to tell people having read, uh, I've read your first three books and I, your, your uh, religion books on my list. Uh, but I also recently read Rich's book, uh, The Unplugged Alpha. And at, when I read that book, I was like, this is a, a really great book because I mean, it's short, it's digestible, but he also gives men like tips, right? Like, oh, this is how you do this. This is how you maintain frame. This is how, you know, you set up a dating profile. This is how, you know, he gives sort of like actionable advice in that. And so what I, ever since reading that book, um, what I tell guys that want to sort of get into this and they want to understand the red pill, I usually tell them, you know what, why don't you start with, with Rich's book? And then once you get a good understanding of that, you have some actual steps to take, you know, then get into Rolo's books and then really dive deep into it. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, um, so let, let me just give you a little bit of history here first. Um, sure. I met Rich online, I virtually met Rich online, I believe it was 2015 or 2016. Okay. I mean, he already had entrepreneurs in cars. Um, he hit me up uh, out of the blue. I maybe emailed me or something. And I wasn't even showing my face at that time. I didn't show my, I wasn't a really sort of a public figure until about 2017. And that was like the latter half of 2017. 
And, but I went on his show and I, I think I just went with just audio and, um, you know, he would, he was saying, Hey, I read your book. It saved my life. Um, I mean, you kind of got to remember what Rich's background is, what is, what his history is. Yeah. Um, and so Rich has described my book as uh, drinking from a fire hose, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of information all at once. And it's, and I understand it. I, I, you have to remember that when I wrote the first book, the, the rational mail, um, I didn't have any plans to write anything else after that. I didn't know there was going to be a series. I didn't I had no plans for a sequel. I didn't even set out to be like a an author. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do was make sure that the most important aspects of what I had been uh, researching and talking about on forums and had on my blog um, for the last, well, by then it was like about 13 years. I wanted to make sure it was in a format that people could you know read and 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 have in their hands. Um, I, if you've read the first book, you know, in my introduction, I talk about one of my readers, Jackie, and she wanted, she was really wanted to have her, her, um, her son, you know, read the stuff or, or get into what I was talking about, but he wouldn't, you know, I'm just some Yahoo on the internet with a blog. Right. So I was, I was, it was me, uh, Royce, you know, Rolo Royce and Roosh at that time. And she said, if you, if this was in a blog, if this was in a book, he would accept it more. And I'm like, all right. So I, I put all of the things that I thought were the most important into that book. I'd never put a book together before. I've never self-published at that time. I didn't even know I needed a K. I didn't even know I needed a Kindle. I didn't even have a, a, a an ebook. I, I wrote it for the, with the intent of making it just a print book. And then there are people like, where's the Kindle? Where's the audible? And so then I, I built it up from there, but I had no idea that it was going to sort of snowball into sort of like the Bible of the manosphere. And as a result of that, I've met a lot of great people along. I met a lot of shitty people too, but I've met a lot of really great people along the way. And Rich is definitely one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of started this relationship between myself and Rich for uh, well, still to this day, right? Um, we went to the 21 convention together, regrettably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, and uh, I know, I as you know, I, I wrote the uh, introduction for his book. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, his stuff is, I, I, if, if there is, and I, this, I say this in all love, I don't say this as, you know, to demean anything, but if there's a red pill light or if there's a rational male light, that's, that's the book. Um, it might be a good primer for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if my book is the fire hose, then uh, I think probably Rich's is like the garden hose, <laughs> you know, that gets you into the, into the series and gets sort of, you know, gets you, gets you into it. Now, the other thing is, this is like um, a lot of people will say, well, this is great stuff, Rolo, but uh, you don't give any prescriptions. You don't have any 12 rules for life. That's why people gravitate towards the nine iron rules of Tomasi right. um, because they want formula and they want template and they want something that is, like you said, actionable advice and everything else. And that's great stuff. And I'm glad that I'm, I'm certainly glad that Rich has taken it upon himself to do that. I'm, my fifth book right now is going to be sort of a, um, I, I, I want to call it a how, not a how-to book, but a why it works book about game. And there's a lot of actionable stuff that's in it, but I'm also explaining the mechanics behind why it works or why it should work. It's not do these things and you'll get laid. Do these things and you'll be an alpha. Do these things and you'll be this because the red pill is not one size fits all. Right. I mean, there's, there's the basic core truths to it. But as I've said in the past, I'm not in the business of making men better men. I'm in the business of men making themselves better men. I'm not looking to start a cult. I've never tried to, although people want to call me the godfather of a cult leader or some shit like that. <laughs> but 
but I'm, that's never been my goal. My goal has always been to, I have an obligation to objective truth. That's what that's, if I have a mission statement, that's it. And in, in the course of that, you have to be able to take the tools and the understanding of really what the red pill is, at least as far as I'm concerned, is it's a praxeology. And in that praxeology, it becomes a tool set. So think of it, if you learn like hypergamy, you learn alpha fucks, beta bucks, you learn, uh, you know, uh, was alpha widows, you learn about um, uh, the, the war brides dynamic, all, all these stuff that, that has been around for a while that I coined way back in the day that we kind of take for granted right now. You take all of those things, all those are, are tools that you can use to build the life that you want. I can do that or I can give you a paint by number. Right. Here's you just painting all these colors, right? right. Yeah. Or would you rather me give you a blank canvas? Here's the paint. Here's the here's the the, the brushes. Here's the tools so you can paint your own your own self portrait. I would much rather you do that than for me to give you a paint by number of what I think you should look like. Right. And so when I when I talk about like I don't do prescriptions, like people get really frustrated. Oh, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And I'm like, well, you know. I'm not you. I don't live in South Africa. I don't live in Nepal. I don't live in Japan. I don't live in Russia. I don't, I'm not you. I'm 53 years old. I've been married for 25 years. I've had my life. I understand what, what works for me. But if I was to go and say, oh, here's 12 rules for life, all of, you know, Jordan Peterson, people love that. They eat it up and they eat it up and they're done with it rather than a book that is a, a evergreen, right? It's a, it's a, um, a living text. Like people to this day will show me their copies of the rational mail and they're, you know, dog-eared and there's they're, they're highlighted in like four different colors and liner notes and and all this other stuff because it's almost like they they well intentionally they come back to certain chapters in the book as they experience them later on in life. Yeah. So the rational mail is not a book where you just read it once and you go, oh that's great. I read the rational mail. Put it on your bookshelf. You come back to it and you reference it so that it's when it's relevant to like the sections in it that are relevant to what you're going and what, what you're going through and what you're experiencing at that particular time in your life. So it's almost like a reference manual, or it's almost like, a, like I said, it's a living text that you keep coming back to rather than an instruction manual. It's more like a, a Ryan Stone called it the Chilton manual of the red pill, right? It's like, yeah. how, do you, how do you tear down the car and put the car back together again? Right. Yeah. That, you know, here's the pieces. Here's why it works. Here's how it works. Blah, blah, blah. Now, go build something. And I tell guys this on my show all the time. I say, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to give you a direction. I'm not a guru. That's going to like, I'm not a positivity guy. Please stand by. We are having technical difficulties. All right, we're back. <laughs> I got a word wrote Sorry, I apologize for the hard restart there, but yeah. It's okay. And for the for the people at home, uh, yeah, Rolla had some technical difficulties. And so we had to record this part the next day, but. Uh, Nightmare scenario, actually, but uh, I'm back. We're good. <laughs> yeah. So we were talking about how the Rational Mail book is about giving men direction per se. And uh, you're not a positivity guy. And that men should put the Rational Mail on their bookshelf and come back to it as a reference, depending mm-hmm. on what's going on in their, their world at the time. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying, you know, it's just funny to try to catch up to where I was at. Um, right. I don't do prescriptions uh, as I was saying before. And the reason I don't do prescriptions is because uh, 
it would there i don't think that the red pill is like i said is one size fits all and i think it's it needs to be a tool set and a toolbox that people use to sort of build their own lives mm-hmm. um, and as i was saying before uh, i'm not in the business of making men better men i am in the business of men making themselves better men and giving them the tools to do so because what looks like success to me might not look like success to you especially since i'm at a different uh you know phase of my life right now. Um, I live in a different country. I'm of a different, you know, cultural background or whatever. So that might not be the same as somebody who was in like, say, Kenya, for example, I've got a lot, I have a lot of followers in Kenya right now, but it would be foolish for me to say, well, you know, you're as a Kenyan man, you should do these 12 things and you'll have a great life. Well, that maybe four of those are applicable yeah, (laughs) and the rest are not. So, um, so uh, I, I get this all the time. Like whenever I go on like fresh and fit and I, we have the girls that are there, the first thing out of anybody's mouth is like, well, you know, not all women are like that. They're not all these, you know, vapid, uh, brainless Instagram thoughts. All, all and, I, and I agree, but that's the same principle as me saying, well, uh, you know, follow these simple steps and you'll be a millionaire. You'll, you'll be a successful guy. And again, it's kind of like where i say, I hate to say it's subjective. I mean, there's certain universal truths, you know, to conventional masculinity. Don't get me wrong, but um, the, the, the way and the means that you get to those, to, to whatever is, you know, that ideal um, I think is unique to the guy. So sure. uh, that's why I don't do that. And I think that when, whenever, and maybe this is just me, but like whenever I've had like people try to sell me a book that says like, you know, follow these simple steps or, you know, people like lists, you know, yeah. <laughs> they like 48 laws of power. Right? And I'm not to say, I'm not to take anything away from that book. I love it. Right. I, I constantly re- re- reference that book, but it's not an instruction manual. And that was a, one of the first criticisms of uh, Robert Greene back in the day, especially by women, because they were like, well, men will read this and they'll turn into evil, power hungry tyrants. It's like, no, no, they won't, because 90% of guys could never put most of this stuff into effect anyways. But it's important that you know the laws, whether or not you use them or they're ethical or moral or whatever is kind of immaterial to the fact that you need to know them. Otherwise, they will be used against you. So yeah. just, just because you know the red pill or you're red pill aware doesn't mean you have to be some like, you know, uh, pickup artist hustler guy. Um, you can use, I, I know guys who use red pill, you know, basics and praxology and, and the basics of, of game or what evolved into game in their marriages, you know, so that they have a better marriage. And I think that's always a net plus, but it's tools. It's not an instruction manual. And anybody trying to sell you an instruction manual, I'm always suspicious of. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd like to see when I when I read your book and and other self help type books, I just I like to sort of take information from a bunch of different places and see where it fits into my circumstance. And it, to me, at the end of the day, it comes down to results. You know, what's working for you? Does this in this book work for you? If it doesn't, then find something that does. You know, I think one. I think the appeal of the rational male from like. Uh, 2013, you know, that's when I published it is because it wasn't, it wasn't self-help, right? Mm-hmm. It was just like, here's the nuts and bolts. Like I, uh, right. Like I was saying before, like I, last night, uh, Ryan Stone calls it the Chilton manual of, right. of, of intersexual dynamics, which it kind of is. I don't go, I, I don't, you'll notice I use a lot of $10 words in the first book, but it's, uh, it's not because I'm trying to seem like I'm smarter than anybody else. It's just that those are the words that apply to trying to stay as sort of like 
objective and rational and nuts and bolts as possible, rather than me going, you have a problem. And I had the same problem too. And here's my, I, my rags to riches story and, and try to build you up and how, here's how I solved it. And here's the secret that you can use to, to, you know, get the same success that I, you won't find that in any rational meal book. It's sure. all nuts and bolts. It's all applicable information. And I think that's why it's been so enduring. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I want to go back to what you were saying real quick. This isn't in my notes. I just thought of it though. Uh, you were saying that on Fresh and Fit, you you talk about, oh, it's not all women. And it's, you know, one thing that I hear a lot in the comments, I'm sure you do too, is guys talking about how Western women are broken. It, you know, you might as well go outside the country and stuff. But in uh, Positive Masculinity, I think it was, you were talking about like, look, this uh, female imperative is spreading the globe. Like there's, you can't, you can't outrun it, you know? And John, John from Modern Life Dating will watch this and he'll fight me on this later on, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my point was that we have, um, as part of globalization, which everybody is really sort of struggling with right now in, in many different aspects, whether it's like nationalism or it's, you know, open borders or it's political ideologies or religious ideologies for that matter, amongst the other things that is globalizing is the sexual marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we do that because we now have like access to, you know, Tinder and Instagram. And like I said, it doesn't even have to be a dating app. It can just be something like Tinder where everybody's their own brand kind of thing. And I made this comparison in, uh, in positive masculinity. And it's also in uh, my fourth book, religion. Um, we have human beings sort of evolved from, you know, tribal units that were right around hundred to 150 people within that tribe. And then that expanded to like sort of, you know, larger townships and, and nation states and, you know, nationalities. And there are, there are, are tribal identifiers for human beings uh, across, you know, history and time and everything else. But um, one of the things that uh, sort of isolated us was our ability to communicate and our ability to travel. So I use this, uh, here's, this is the example that I used. Um, because I have a, I have been to the Philippines, and I have a, one of my best friends. Ray is a very is a is a Filipino man, and he, uh, you know, he's an American, but he's you know has got roots in the Philippines. So when you go back to the Philippines, when like prior to Western influence coming to the Philippine Islands, the Philippine the, the Filipinos, you know, my my friend Ray, God bless him, I love him to death, but he's like five foot four, <laughs> five three. <laughs> And that's the you know that's average height for a Filipino man and in the Philippines. Well, now Western you know I think it was the Spaniards came over there you know conquered the the Philippine Islands and they're five foot six. <laughs> and now and as we know, women select for height as 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 a sort of this universal like uh, sex appeal kind of thing. So they're looking for guys who are taller than they are. And now the average guy in the Philippines uh, is five foot four, and here comes a five foot six Spaniard, and oh my God, here comes a a Nordic white guy who is five foot 10 and is the tallest dude they've ever seen in their lives. Prior to that influence coming over to that isolated Island, the local sexual marketplace was limited to men who were five foot four, a five foot six Filipino guy was probably getting after it. Right. Because it's been <laughs> selecting for that. Again, I'm using this figuratively. I'm not sure, saying sure. literally. So when you, anybody watching this, don't take this literally, but this is the illustrates the point. When you have a local sexual marketplace and then the influence that comes in from outside that marketplace uh, is um, has better features or is, is, is more, let's just say, marketable, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you, what you're doing is you're taking it, that localized sexual marketplace and you're putting the global sexual marketplace into it. And that's kind of figuratively, anyways, what we have done with the internet and social media and, and, and cell phones, smartphones, what we're doing right now. Um, and the, the, the difficulty with that is that women are spoiled for choice. I, I made the comparison on a couple of recent shows that we, you know, we, we constantly harp on men having uh, unlimited access to unlimited sexuality via online streaming pornography. Well, you know, that's, it's, it's ubiquitous, right? I mean, we can, you can get it uh, on any, you know, Pornhub or whatever, and it's free. And there's a reason it's free. <laughs> um, but so as, as guys, as guys are exposed to a level of sexuality that in our sort of evolutionary past, we never had access to, even if it's virtual women, on the other hand, now have access to unlimited access to, um, to attention and to, uh, to uh, inst- well, really instant gratification and affirmation and ego affirmation. So when we say, oh, women today in Western societies, for example, have like these overblown egos because they are, uh, you know, it's a nation of, you know, threes and fours who think they're eights and nines. And the reason they do is because they have access to a global sexual marketplace that constantly reinforces that. And they believe that they have choice that they don't necessarily really have in a global sexual marketplace as opposed in contrast to their local sexual marketplace. So mm-hmm. when a woman is on OnlyFans and she can make a, a ton of money off of OnlyFans because she's you know, got a worldwide audience, that's her sort of virtual global sexual marketplace. Turn off the camera, turn off her thing and goes out and, and goes down to the clubs. That's now the local sexual marketplace. And it's a much different dynamic in the local than it is in the global. The problem that that all of the that this represents really is it skews um, uh, it skews sort of like this sexual marketplace that used to be like uh, Asian women would get with Asian men, black women would get with black men, uh, white women, white men. That sort of like that a sort of mating dynamic that we used to have prior to say two thousand mm-hmm. is. I mean, you still see it, but it is now kind of skewed in the favor of women because they believe that they have this sort of like choice addiction. I guess yeah. would be the, the, the way to describe that. And so the difference between the local, the local sexual marketplace and the global sexual marketplace, which one is that woman going to prefer? If the local sexual marketplace sucks and she's getting, you know, countless likes and, and you know, she's a top, you know, whatever percenter on OnlyFans, what's she going to opt for? And how is that going to modify and change her personality over the course of, you know, her 20s? And so that's what I got into as far as um, the difference between the local sexual marketplace and the global sexual marketplace. And then what happens after that is you get guys who see this going on all the time and they go, Western women are, are fat and entitled and hubristic. And they, uh, you know, they think that, as I said before, there are threes and fours who think that they're eights and nines. And then you get guys who will like fight Jordan Peterson over this opinion, right? (laughs) About (laughs) How, you know, leave the West, uh, get, you know, uh, I think it was um, 2015, there was this really great video, it was a documentary, it was about how black men in the United States were going off to Brazil and South America to find feminine, thin, uh, less mouthy, less bossy, less, you know, boss girl, alpha female um, women, because the, in the black community, Women were going to college in higher, they still are right now. It's across the board now, but like back then they were going to college more, they're more educated and they were more entitled because as a woman gets into 
like higher states of education or professionality or whatever else, they tend to believe that the aspects that would make a man attractive are the same thing that would make them attractive. And so as a result of this, you have a generation of black women who, like Kevin Samuels would say, are average at best. And you got a generation of black men who are like, why am I bothering with American black women when down in, in Sao Paulo, you know, or wherever there's a, there are women there who appreciate me, who want to bang me, who want to cook food for me, who are thin, who are feminine, who are like complete polar opposite of the girls in the United States that I'm supposed to like. Mm-hmm. And John from modern life dating being, you know, he lives in, in Japan. He will say, he will tell you the same thing. Like he, he never wants to come back to the United States because the women here just kind of suck when it comes to comparing them to nice, feminine, thin Japanese girls in Tokyo, where he's at right now. So that's another aspect of the global sexual marketplace that we have to contend with. So now you've got women getting unlimited access to uh, unlimited attention and affirmation. And then you've got guys who go, those women are not anything that I want to have anything to do with. Because in Southeast Asia or the Ukraine or wherever you're going to like try to find, you know, what Roosh used to call pussy paradise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Those guys, yeah, they kind of get an attitude about it. And they're like, why would I buy? It's not an attitude out of arrogance. It's just pragmatism at that point. They're like, why would I bother with this? And there's guys who are incels and losers. And of course, women go, well, you know, you just can't get a real woman here in the United States, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, why would I want that? And this is something, this isn't a, this isn't a new, this isn't novel <laughs> right? Isn't going on really since at least 2014 by my reckoning. So, but what, but one of the things that you were talking about in, in the, in your book though, was that like in China, they're starting to have uh, more of a femme centric mindset too. So some of that is changing. So where you would, if you went to China trying to escape this and find a, a nice Chinese girl, that'll take, you know, treat you like a king eventually they're going to start thinking this way too, like, because they have access to the same social media. They're going to start thinking they're boss bitches and stuff. Westernized feminism, Westernized gynocentrism finds its way into non-Western countries. Uh, I, in religion, I make the case that uh, most religions today, I I argue that, that by certainly by 2030, most of the mainstream, most of the largest religions that we know of right now will become feminized. Mm-hmm. In the sense that it will be a female-centric dynamic in that religion, if it's not already happened. Like I, I mainstream Christianity was the first to fall. I just did a um, a show with Abu American and Rich and some of these other guys, um, uh, you know, basically stating my case here because they don't want to believe that that you know Islam is ever going to end up becoming like sort of Westernized and gynocentrized or gynarchy, you know. Yeah. And I say just give it a generation. Give it, give it one, maybe two generations. You're already seeing the influx right now. And they, you know, we had a, we had a really good debate. We had a really good talk about that. And I'm like, I think people tend to think that I'm coming down or I'm shitting on religion. And I'm, I'm not. I'm, in fact, I, if I was a Muslim man, I would be very upset that that is, you know, that's what's the, the influence and the influx right now. Because if you sincerely believe that and you that's your, those are your convictions, then you, you probably need to be a little bit more educated. But when I'm talking about like finding a, a girl in China or something, I, there's those that is not so much a religious thing as it is a cultural, like ethnic nationality kind of thing. Uh, I get people who tell me like, "Well, Latin women really respect their men." <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, "Yeah, but we're also seeing an influx of of gynocentric 
um, what I call fempowerment uh, narratives sort of filter their way into uh, into cultural narratives. And I mean, Disney and Pixar have been really, really hit hammering that hard for a long time so that young girls, doesn't matter whether they're in the Middle East or they're they're black, or they're white or whatever it is, that, that empowerment narrative is still sort of being fostered in a lot of different countries. But when I was talking about the, the, the Chinese side of things, I was actually referring to uh, Matt Ridley's um, book, The Red Queen. Mm-hmm. And the Red Queen was, at least this part of the Red Queen, is that in in societies, and it doesn't have to be a human society, it could be an animal, like sort of, you know, a social animal, let's just say, uh, if it is more advantageous to be a male or a female, you will see a preference in reproductive habits or reproductive, you know, choices, let's just say, um, for one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I made the case, and actually, I, this, it was Matt Ridley, I was quoting him, is that in uh, China, uh, during the 80s and the 90s, there was the one-child policy, right? Because they had so much population. And of course, what was the most advantage, advantageous sex to have was a boy. Now, feminists of the time thought it was horribly patriarchal and they thought it was horribly, oh, I can't believe this, you know, they're, they're aborting young babies or aborting little girls or they're drowning them in the, the rivers or whatever. And now we see the, the the downside of that. We have, you know, there's like, I forget what the numbers are, but there's an at least an excess of like 40 million men mm-hmm. in China as a today as a result of that one child policy. It might be more than that, but um, but there there's an imbalance. There's a definitely a gender skew as a result of only having one 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 child. So, in a gynocentric social order, it is more advantageous to be a girl. And we see that happening in uh, we we see the results of that happening in, in transgenderism. Uh, mm. in, in uh, oh, uh, you know, Johnny is he's only two years old, but he gets to decide whether he wants to live as a boy or a girl. And of course, they you <laughs> all these people who are want to tell you how gender is not binary. They're all about binary gender when the kid's two years old and he's either going to be a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. And so then then everything's binary at that point, which is just nonsense. It's it's all social constructionism at that point. But sure. But um the but the advantageous thing to do is to be if you're a boy, if you have a penis, then suddenly you want to live like a girl or you want to think like a girl or you want to identify or align with the feminine because in a gynocentric social order, it's more advantageous for you to do so. And if we can <clears throat> convince you that you were born the wrong sex, then you might have some real bad personality disorders when you're a boy that's raised as a defective girl. And we can see that in the education system in the United States for sure. But um, it, it, it's, again, it's all part and parcel of this. Um, the, you know, people say these little boys are manginas or whatever, but yeah. in, in China, they're having the same problem. And that's why they're saying, you know, like you probably have read these stories recently about how they're, they don't want any movies played in, in China that have girly men in them. And they're, they're trying to have these masculinity training, you know, they're, they're, they're basically trying to instill in social programs conventional traditional masculinity yeah um, yeah Ru- russia's doing a lot of that too yeah yeah and in the meantime you know we're here trying to figure out if you know we're if transgender athletes should be able to compete in the olympics or something or in the military we need we have the what is it the first the first female four-star admiral who's actually a guy right, right. <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's mind-blowing to me and uh I, you know, I have kids that are, you know, in school now 
And it just seems like it's the the cool thing to do, mm-hmm. you know. And I I've got to constantly instill my instill my philosophy on on my kids and say, look, you know, it's even though it's being pushed, you know, socially right now, it's it's not the cool thing to do. I don't I just don't think it is. It's all behaviorism, is what it is. It's all social conditioning, is what yeah. I'm thinking. And uh, as you since you probably read the first book, when I talk, whenever I talk about the blue pill. You yeah. Know, again, an abstract term here. I always mention blue pill conditioning mm-hmm. because that's what it is. It's a it's a psychological form of generationally. It's a psychological form of conditioning. And when I talk about the blue pill, certainly in my books, it's usually about you know guys who believe one thing and then suddenly they have this revelation. They take the red pill, right, and they become red pill aware. Right. About what was going on when they were plugged into the matrix and they believed all this old order way of thinking, and now suddenly they see the the rationality of what's really going on and the game that they're they're a part of and that's kind of where red pill blue pill kind of thing came from but like when i talk about blue pill it's always about conditioning and it starts right where your kids are right now yep it, it starts with them all with 77 at least in the united states 77% of your teachers from preschool to postgraduate school will be female yep and they teach like females teach and there is a gender to difference between how men teach and how women teach. Yeah. And there, it's a big problem too, because there's a lot of single mother households. So there's mm-hmm. moms trying to raise men and then they're sending these, these boys off to school to be also be raised by mm-hmm. teachers that are also females. So these guys have like very little male influence. It's uh, becoming then, a big problem. And then if you, and then if the boy doesn't if he acts out if he doesn't learn like a proper girl learns they say well go you go to timeout johnny and until you can learn to come back and learn like susie you go over there and you're you know no yard time for you no no you know extra treat for you and if you continue to do that we will drug you we will give you adhd we'll give you ritalin or we'll give you adderall or we'll find some way to sedate you until you can learn like the rest of the class yeah um, women have a strong bias for little girls in education. There's lots of research on this, um, how women will, will grade more harshly for boys than they will for girls. Um, they have a different standard of, of like what is a pass or a fail, what's a success and what's not. Um, and then that's, that's just, again, it's, is it the, a lot of times like people say, well, there's not this malicious thing with, girl, with you know, fem- women teachers teaching boys. They're like, no, it's not. But that's, it just comes as part of just the way that they do things. Well, the, the way I look at that, too, is women are raised in the same blue pill society we are. So there's they're, definitely a blue pill for women. Yes. <laughs> so they I mean, they're raised with the same social constructs. So they're they don't even realize they're teaching this stuff, yeah. you know. That's just how things are. They think it's the right, they take it for granted and they, they, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. That's right. Um, I want to bring things uh, back a little bit about how red pill saves lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. A month ago at the time of this recording, about a month ago, you did a video on how red pill saves lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you were talking about um, and that I wrote down in my notes here is that you were getting really pissed off at people who are trying to shut you down you know, people like, you know, and I'm not trying to get involved in any internet beefs here, but like Anthony Johnson and Alex from playing with fire. And, and I watched some of Alex's videos from playing with fire and like, it just, it's clear that he's, he hasn't read your book. So I think he's speaking from a, a place of, 
ignorance. But Anthony Anthony Johnson just man, his stuff is just like it's like, bro, relax, you know. <laughs> I think Anthony it's Johnson, a little bit out of control. Anthony but. Johnson is a pathological personality. And he attracts other pathological personalities. If you look at the guys he was originally working with versus the guys that he's working with right now, you will see sociopaths and pathological personalities are attracted. And they, and and this again, studies show, you know, that uh, the most dominant pathological personalities tend to draw other pathological personalities into their orbit Mm -hmm. because they see that guy as sort of like an affirmation of the way that they think. And when I, when I say pathological personalities, it's like, sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's, if you're kind of like whacking of personality disorders, it can be a bad, definitely be a bad thing, right? But like, if you look at a guy like say Steve Jobs, for example, um, if you've ever read Steve Jobs biography, uh, everyone who knew him said that he had what was called a reality distortion bubble <laughs> that surrounded him. And he was very much a, a very self-centered, um, self-reliant you know, kind of guy, but he was also a pathological personality because mm-hmm. he lived in his own world. Yeah. And anything that came from the outside, now a guy like him who, had, who was an ideas guy and, and you know, put things into, into motion, um, you know, he didn't care about having a, a, any furniture in his house for crying out loud, right? But he was always very, it was his way and that was the only way. And he lived in his own world. And that's what pathologic, like when you'd say a pathological liar, pathological liars believe their own lie. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, it's, they'll pass a, a, a polygraph test when you, when you ask them stuff like that, because they live in a pathological world where everything is according to whatever it is that they, whatever their minds dictate, mm-hmm. where they have a reality distortion bubble around them. And the only way that you can sort of break that is by telling them no. <laughs> it's like okay. countering that so yeah so i mean i i honestly hadn't even heard of anthony before doing my research for this interview but but one of the things you were talking about was how you were really mad that people are trying to shut you down because your work is actually helping people mm-hmm. and uh and so, which i could i could sort of get behind that because i've i've had guys in my DMs. I'm on. I'm, I'm on uh, TikTok a lot. I don't think you're on TikTok at all. But no. Uh, you know what's funny? TikTok is for kids. <laughs> TikTok's not just a bunch of uh, dancing teenagers. Who would have known? Who would have guessed? But no. I mean, so I get a lot of guys in the DMs saying, "Hey, you know your your content. You know, I was watching your content, and man, I was on the verge of suicide and stuff like mm-hmm. this. So I can I can see where yeah. that would piss you off if someone tried to shut me down. I'd be like. I didn't, you know, when I first got on TikTok, it was to promote the podcast. It mm-hmm. wasn't, but I realized that it's actually reaching people. And mm-hmm. I think that it's sort of what you were saying at the beginning. Like you didn't set out to do the stuff to save lives, but it actually is. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, so when I did that show and I've done other shows as well, I was you know, similar to that, you know, I think I'm frothing at the mouth or I'm like, you know, oh, he's unhinged. It's like, no, I'm, I'm unhinged because it's, if, if I'm angry, it's like, righteous anger i guess if he could say anything else sure uh, and the reason why i said that and and these guys damn well know this too um is that when i when i published the first book and, and second book too technically um i had guys who would come up to me who actually took trips out to uh 21 convention in 2017 and 2018 um 
with a specific intent to come out, shake my hand, talk to me and just sort of give me a hug kind of thing, because they are, I'll just mention a couple of stories here. One was a guy who came out, flew out from, I believe it was Phoenix, Arizona to meet me. And he was a guy that I was actually familiar with, but I didn't know it was him at the time. And uh, he was in my, my comments on my blog and he said, you know, I had plans to kill myself. I was, I was, I had a date set, like my death date, right? Set out because I'd lost, I, he got zeroed out and he, everything that was more or less what happened with my, my brother-in-law, for example, um, was going on with him. He got zeroed out, lost his job. His wife was leaving him. Um, and, you know, his kids were still kind of sympathetic with him and everything else, but uh, he was really ready to just sort of off himself. Somebody had mentioned you know, read this book, check this out and it'll change your life. And I'm again, like I didn't write the book to change people's lives, but apparently it has. And the guy comes, comes out to me and he's like, like, you know, tear, tearful at the time. He says, I was going to kill myself. I was going through all these things. He's trying to make preparations like so that it would be uh, as, as convenient as possible for his kids and his wife, you know, he's trying to get his insurance policies in line and, and, you know, make sure that he wasn't inconveniencing anybody with his suicide. Wow. And then he read the book and he canceled the date because he says, now I understand. Now it was articulated in a way that I could, I could, I understand the, you know, what was going on between myself and my wife. And I, I had, I unlearned what I had learned and I canceled my date. And now as a result of your work, Rolo, my children still have their father. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, especially up to that point, I'm not a kind of guy who's used to getting like, like, thank you, sincere appreciation, a gracious appreciation. Usually it's like, fuck you, Rolo. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I get a lot more hate. I bet. I bet. Yeah. But like, so when, when somebody tells me that I'm just like, it kind of like, I'm like, I get a little choked up, you know, or whatever. I get a little chilled down my spine too. It's like, I didn't, I didn't set out to do this. And then I had done a, um, I'd done a blog post about like, it was called uh, the red pill and the safety net. I think is what it was. And um, uh, it has, there's over a thousand comments in that one essay. And they're all guys saying, here's how your work saved my life. Or here's how I changed my life. You know, maybe they weren't suicidal, but they like are living a better life as a result of having these tools. Like I was saying before, not an instruction manual, but the tools and a better understanding of where they are and what had happened to them in their lives. Robert Kiyosaki comes up to me and says the same thing, right? I read your book and now I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, and for, for I'm, I can't even believe that 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 sentence just came out of my mouth. <laughs> right, know? Robert Kiyosaki is kind of yeah, he's a big deal. Even, I, right? Like <laughs> I'm like to me, I'm just like wow, this must be really significant. So that was one. The other one, uh, and that was back in like 2017. I met a guy in 2015 at the Man in Demand conference in Vegas, and um, I met this dude again just recently, just this year. In, uh, in Miami at George Gammon's uh, Rebel Capitalist thing, it's not even really a technically a red pill event, but there's a lot of our audiences crossover. And one of those guys was at that event in, in Miami in June of this year. He could, he's there with his wife and he's not there to meet Rolla Tomasi. He's already been there. He's already met me before back in 2015, but he hits me up and um, he, uh, he uh, was saying, Hey man, I, I just want to let you know, I, I love, I sell all your books and I, I, I love your stuff. And he, we'd met before and his wife was with him and she was like, she wanted to meet me, but she couldn't like, I, I don't know if she was just overcome with emotion or whatever. And she had hit me up and she handed me this handwritten note 
and it said, you know, thank you. I basically, I, I can paraphrase. I have it here somewhere, um, <laughs> but I'll paraphrase it, which was, you know, uh, if it wasn't for you, my my sons would probably have killed themselves, or they were they were in really bad states. They read your book, and it, it fundamentally changed their lives. And like she's like just at the point of tears, you know, just trying to hand me this note. And I was just, I've read it. I read, actually, I think I read it on that show that you're mentioning right now. And that, so that was one of the more recent things right there. And when I, I don't like to, to mouth off about that too much, because to me, it's more of a personal thing. I've had other experiences where people have done something similar and, and, you know, I'm, uh, clearly what I'm doing is saving lives, whether I set out to do that or not. So I accept that I'll, I'll own that. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I get so pissed off at these guys who want to distort that message, or they want to use that as sort of their like click funnel grift, right. Mm-hmm. Or they want to sell a ticket to a convention, or they want to, you know, get more clicks or eyeballs on their, you know, they want more engagement and impressions on their YouTube channel as a result of that. And the easiest, quickest way to do that is to say, fuck Rolla Tomasi, he's full of shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, oh, really? Let's go look. Right. And so, I, and so I'm curious. Okay. I always want to know, and I've said this verbal, I, I, these are the words. If, if you think I'm full of shit, I want to know why you think I'm full of shit. Do you, uh, just curious, like, do you, does that kind of stuff pop up in your purview frequently? Like just random creators that are uh, talking it, shit? I'll tell you what's funny is it goes through phases. Okay. Like right now we're kind of in a down cycle, I guess, but like right oh. around, I don't know, maybe the middle of summer. You know, I there's about six weeks where I was, I was, you know, I got you got John Anthony throwing shit at me. You got this guy, and and it comes in waves, and it's usually the same. It's the usual suspects, right? That's it's usually it's usually Anthony Johnson feeding these guys bullshit. Like when I was, uh, was it last year? It was MGTOW Dictionary in the Black Pill community. And yeah. as soon as I said, like people said, hey, you should check this out. He's talking shit about you. So I I watch, and I'm like, I'm not gonna watch a six or seven hour live stream, but I scrub <laughs> through it, and I'm looking at I'm looking at the stuff, and I'm looking at pictures. They're doxing me. They're doxing my wife. They're doxing mm. my dogs. They're doxing my my mother-in-law because they went to my daughter's Facebook page and, and, and just pulled pictures off of that. And I go, the only way they know this is through Anthony Johnson. That's the only crazy. way that they know these quotes, the only way that they even talk about this stuff is through Anthony Johnson. And so I knew that immediately. And I'm so, you know, I just kind of deal with it as it comes. I, I'm at the point right now where I, I, I have to, I can't just do show after show after show to defend myself because I don't really think I need to defend myself. And, but every once in a while you have to make an example of somebody. And so that's what I did with Alex from from playing with fire because it was too easy. He made it too easy. Sorry, Alex, you made it too easy. (laughs) So, so so you're saying, you're saying the summertime is when I need to talk shit about you so I can get clout. Is that okay? Yeah. If you're going to clout chase, (laughs) get me when I'm on my travel schedule and I can't get to you. (laughs) There, there, there's your strategy for the next time. Got it. Um, Okay. But and it usually comes right around September because that's like about a week or about eh, four weeks before the 21 convention. That's when those video, video, let's do a hit piece video. And all it is, is just this recap or this re, you know, it's, it's uh, stitching together old videos that never went anywhere anyways. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's just bullshit after bullshit after bullshit. And it's like, here we are like two and a half years later after all of this. And it's like, I have published a, 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 you know, one boy in that time, in that three year time, well, two and a half year time, I published the book. I've got two very successful uh, YouTube channels, my clips channel and my main 
Um, I've been, God knows how many times I'm going out for uh, trip number five to Miami pretty soon here. Um, I have developed brands like Kevin Savo, like Torsha, like uh, Fresh and Fit from back from January. I'm not saying I'm not claiming responsibility for their success, but I did help them in the early days, right? Yeah. And, and you know, we put together Rule Zero and look at all. I mean, I just do stuff. I want to produce things. I'm not going to sit on my money and just go, ha, I got all this money now. Ha, 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 whatever it is. You know, I want to put it into people who I think need the help, like Kevin doing his, uh, Kevin Savo doing his, uh, independent film work and stuff. So you, you mean the proof is in the pudding. I just do what I do. But what, getting back to what you're, but getting back to what you're saying, as far as the uh, the the life saving thing, the reason why I get pissed off at that is because first of all, uh, you know, Coach White Pill or Coach you know Dork Pill, whatever it is, those guys who come after me about stuff, I go and I watch those things and I go, they don't know what they're talking about. They have mm-hmm. no earthly idea. What, so what is I, what is the white pill? I, I mean, I I know white pill basically the white pill is basically the black pill with uh with more like God and hope in it more or less is is what it comes down to. And it's what? it's it's been by the way the white pill is also not all that novel either. They right. used to they we used to do this back. I remember when Roosh wanted to uh, wanted to promote neo-masculinity back in 2015 and it's like that's very reminiscent of that but they they, like what i got from it though was like they're also trying to apologize for masculinity too right no which is absurd yeah white pill ends up being they they would argue against this but the white pill ends up being um guys who will uh, make compromise after compromise after compromise until they start looking like the uh, the good man project, right? Or they start looking like what Dr. Warren Farrell is right now, or they start looking like uh, are we man? And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Justin Bald Baldini, Baldoni. I think he's got mm-hmm. this man enough podcast, and it's just it, all it is is masculine apologetics. And I'm like, this you're 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 you are part of the problem. Sounds you're like part, you are nice guy syndrome. Obstacle. You are an obstacle to the guys who need this information, who you're saying, well, you know, Rolo is truthful anger, right? We talked about that. Uh, don't, don't, you know, read his book, but don't get too deep into it because you'll just be this bitter, horrible person here. Here's my positivity course. Pay me my money kind of thing. Um, and that, but it's not even so much the money aspect. People are going to, everything's a grift, man. You're a grift. I'm a grift. Everybody's a grift. And if you, I, I, I talked about this with Hotep Jesus one time, he says, the difference is, is that the difference between a grifter and like somebody who's actually honestly, you know, has some real um, authenticity in all of this is the guy who is doing it, give something back. It's mm-hmm. one thing to just take and take and take and take and be a grifter and be just this sort of like carpet bagger and use car salesman kind of guy. Sure. And it's another thing to, you know, be and do what I do. I, I write books. I don't write books because I'm like, you know, schlepping books out on gum road. I do it because I'm an author. I'm primarily an author. And I do it because I think that people, I, I have this notion that people actually might want to hear what I have to say. And it's not about like my new course. It's not about my new book. It's not, it's, it's about the, the totality of my work. It's my body of work. That's me. And yeah. so when I, and so what am I doing it for? Am I doing it to like keep, keep the noose off a guy's neck? Well, yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. And I mentioned this in 2018 at the state of the manosphere address that I did at 20 at the 21 con. Mm-hmm. And during that time, when I did that, uh, that, that speech, I would, I did what was called a SWOT analysis. I'm sure you've heard of that in you know, business terms, it's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Mm-hmm. I did a SWOT analysis for the manosphere. And amongst those threats was 
the brand of me sort of superseding or overriding the, the, mis, the message of really what red pill praxology is. And sure enough, sure as shit, right now, we're right where I said we would be uh, during that time. And my fear amongst all of this was that we would get canceled by YouTube, by pay, Patreon. I think at that same time, like uh, Roosh was uh, getting his books like uh, banned off of Amazon. Um, there was a lot of heavy stuff that was going on in the, the fall of 2018. And my concern was this, was that the guys who have read my book, who it impacted their lives, in some cases saved their lives, maybe saved their marriages, the, you know, their kids have a father because of that. They wouldn't have access to that information that could be you know, the difference between life or death for these guys because of cancel culture because of you know patreon uh, you know blocking me or whatever else it is and fortunately i've been able to avoid that i've been sliding under the the radar for a while um, you know when fresh and fit asked me if i think the red pill is going mainstream and i say i hope not primarily it's because i want this information and all of this stuff to still be available um, in as broad a sense as possible that's why i say that but what I what I was saying back then is I my my fear was that some people would actually be you know actually commit suicide or would have their lives impacted because they never got the information, and that was in 2018. In 2021, my fear is a little bit different. My fear and my concern is that guys like hustlers like Alex, hustlers like Anthony Johnson, hustlers like uh, uh, John Mulville, you know John Anthony, whatever. The guys who dilute the mess, and it's I'm picking on them. There's a lot of other guys too, but um, I'm, my worry is that people will take my work, and most of these guys can't complete a full podcast. Even if they hate me, they still quote me. Even if they hate me, they can't deny the impact that my work has had over the course of well, really 20 years, but certainly the books for the last you know almost what nine now. Um, they can't. They can't deny that, but in the same breath, they will distort it. And the reason why I say they distort it is because that's exactly what Alex was doing. And that's exactly what these douche nozzles from the white pill are doing. They take my stuff and they go, well, you know, they straw man everything I say. They say, well, Rolo said women can't really love you. I don't believe that. I think it's different like this. And then so they try to build their brand on their deliberate misinterpretations of the things that I've said because Anthony Johnson fed them some bullshit or they think it's going to help their brand by doing so and hitting, hitting hard at me. The problem is, and the reason I get so pissed off is that if that's, if these guys are out there distorting my work, it has the same effect as if like YouTube is trying to cancel my show or you or, or Amazon bans my books. It's the mm -hmm. same effect. You're just doing it you know, by inch or by mile, right? I mean, they can't actually block my books, but they will still go and run campaigns that are like uh, review spam on my, on my books. Mm -hmm. and, and with every time you do that, the possibility of a guy putting a noose around his neck is, is that much more. And that's why I got pissed off at that. Because if these guys can't get that or they get a distorted version of that because you wanted to make a quick fucking buck off of it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to get a little pissed off at that. Because I don't want to see another repeat of the guy, you know, my best friend, you know, you know putting a gun in his mouth because he can't get over his, his you know, one-itis or his soulmate bullshit, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. if he had the book, maybe he could have done that. Maybe I would have been in time. But you're not, that, the obstacle is not the, the book and, and me. It's 
you coming between it and distorting the message. And that's what pisses me off. And that's why I said that if you're, you are impeding the, the real understanding of what I'm talking about, simply because either you want to turn a buck, you, you have some stupid, you know, you know, irrational hatred of me for whatever fucking reason. I have no idea. Yeah. The, the, the long and the short of it is, is that because of you being an obstacle to these guys getting this information, the possibility exists at least that those guys, you know, kids might not have a father because you said, you know, the world rational male, you know, it's truthful anger. That, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, that makes sense. I Just one thing I want to say, I thought about this last night uh, because I think it speaks to your integrity, right? One, you're helping out smaller creators like me by coming on my show. S- super helpful. But not always only that, that always will. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 not only that, when we had the technical difficulty last night, I was like, man, this really sucks. You know, I only got about 35 minutes in. You know, and he's a real busy guy. Like this, I might not be able to finish the show. I guess we'll I'll, we'll just have to run with it. And so I was like, you know what? I know you're busy. It's fine. I can run with it. And you're like, no, let's meet tomorrow. Yeah. Like we'll that speaks to your integrity. Should I, I do a whole new show for you if you want to? <laughs> well, shit, this is almost a whole new show, but it's fine. We're going to make it into a long one. <laughs> I gotta, you know, I'll tell you what's funny is I got another guy. Uh, I don't know. I forget the dude's name. I got another thing I'm doing at six o'clock tonight here too. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that speaks to your integrity. And I think like anyone that questions that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to post this clip on my, on my YouTube channel and, they can mm-hmm. go fuck themselves, I think, because you're a good guy, you know, well, I try to, uh, you know, it's always been my and I, I do this with my family and I do this with my my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always I've I've always been the guy that has said, you know, if if I can help, I will help because mm-hmm. I've been the guy who's needed help and people are like, hey, fuck you, you know? Yeah. Or like, I've, that's why I said, you know, it's funny for me to get like sort of appreciation and accolades and people going, thank you. I appreciate you. Like that's, that's really hard for me to hear because I have so many people saying you're a piece well, of shit. Well, one thing, one thing too, I think, I hope people also get from this is you, I mean, in, in, in a lot of your videos, you sort of rail against, um, you know, the like purple pill, type guys. And I would say, I would venture to say that my content is very purple pill, mm-hmm. but I'm like, but I, I think that this, the information that you put out is very valid information. And yeah, that's why I like, I, I would never, you know, purposefully talk a lot of shit about your work. Cause I find it extremely accurate. I can't argue against anything that you say. Like I said, and, even my, even my haters still have to still use my right? well, widow and, and, you know, yeah. war brides. Yeah. They're, they're, with the way and the way I like to look at it is like, okay, I just, you know, the information I'm getting from people like, like in, in to be transparent, I know you've been critical of him in the past. Is this podcast is born out of a group of men that are studying Corey Wayne's book. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of my content is Corey Wayne based, but <laughs> I've been trying to get him on the podcast for like six months now and I can't get a call back, but right. I, I can get, you know, you like responded to a tweet within like a few minutes. I was like, holy shit. Well, so, I don't, I don't necessarily have a, like, I know people are going to find this is a little weird because I just did a video with him in it, but um, I don't have a problem with Corey Wayne. I don't have sure, a problem sure. with anybody, you know, who's used. I, what I have a problem with is when people use the red pill as a, 
a click funnel as, a, as it's their niche market. Like they did some seminar and they go get rich online with a YouTube channel and a gum road course and a book and da, 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 right. Yeah. And just, and so pick one of these three fields, uh, fitness, uh, finance <laughs> or relationships. And if you're a guy and you want to get into the relationship niche or the knit relationship field, who do you go and lift material from? Well, probably my stuff at some point along the way. And so when I see somebody like a uh, joker from, uh, and again, I don't have anything as joker, but I see these guys who come into, and they, they have this like really high instant success. And then they kind of level off. I go, they didn't, they're not in this. They're not in the manosphere of the red pill for the same reasons that I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. And they're happy to use my material. And I'm okay with that even. I'm actually okay with people like, you know, using my material to, you know, to spread the, you know, the message kind of thing, I guess, um, because I've always considered the red pill open source. Sure. So, because, and again, I want to still have those conversations. And again, if people think I'm full of shit, then I want to have that conversation about whatever that topic is. So when people say, oh, you, you won't debate me. It's like, I don't owe you a debate, first of all. And second of all, uh, if you know anything about formal debate, uh, what's the topic? They never have a topic. Yeah. There's never, there's never, oh, well, hypergamy is not what you say it is. Great. Let's have that show. I'll be, let's line it up. I'll set it up right now. Uh-huh. Okay. But if it's, Rollo, you're a cult leader and you're a grifter. That's not a debate, man. That's just your opinion. <laughs> right. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to have those discussions with people who are disingenuous to begin with. Now, am I saying that Corey Wayne is disingenuous? No, obviously not. Um, yeah. However, I will take it instance by instance. And when I did the last show and I had, uh, I think I used a clip of his where he's talking to two, two chicks that are getting into, um, you know, uh, the, pretty much a lot of the stuff that MGTOWs are talking about. And he's just sitting there kind of nodding his head. Yeah, I'm going to have a problem with that. I'm going to call you out on yeah. that. I would One call you um, out on for something like that, too. I, I don't I, I don't want to talk special. shit. I don't want to talk shit about Corey because I'm still trying to get him on my podcast. But mm-hmm. one thing that I've noticed with those episodes um, is that in his book, he talks about not getting advice about women from women. Mm hmm. And then, and now he's, he's having lots of podcasts where he's got two women where he's asking them for their opinions on stuff. And I'm just like, that's kind of uh doesn't make sense, but I'm not talking shit, Corey, come on my show, man. Come well, on. it's um, <laughs> like getting female dating advice. Like you will never see that happen on my show. I, I definitely use women as examples mm-hmm. for red pill dynamics. I will have use you as an illustration, <laughs> but I'm not going to go there and say, well, we need a woman's opinion on this. What do you think, honey? I'm, that's That ain't going to be a show on the rational mail. I'll tell you that right now. But I think one of the reasons you see these guys doing that is because they see the popularity of um, Kevin Samuels and, and Fresh and Fit, bring a girl on there and sort of roast the girl for lack of a better term. It's not like they all do that, but yeah. uh, I thought it was an interesting, I, I called him out on this as well. You see a guy like Kevin Samuels, who was essentially a men's style coach and a, a fragrant, a men's fragrance hustler for a while. And he's got, I've, I've seen the videos of like what he was before he was Kevin Samuels. And I understand he is, he's probably milking this for as much as it's going to, going to play for him because he probably knows that after a while, um, the chuck wagon is going to pull out and somebody else is going to, rep- you know, dethrone him or whatever. But I think that that's probably happening quicker, you know, sooner rather than later, um, because he, first of all, he doesn't play well with others. And he has uh, women on his show all the time that he dresses down. And I, I was critical of him back in March. And I said, you know, it's at what point do you reach the point of diminishing returns with this sort of template here? 
Mm-hmm. You can only tell so many girls your average at best before it gets old and it's the same show over and over and over again. And you know, maybe we haven't reached that point yet, but I, I made the case in one of my videos that it's like beating up on children after a while because the children don't have any rational argument. Uh, once you get to a certain, once they can't argue with your logic, they resort to like uh, emotion, which is like, you know, who hurt you? That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I've said this to Myron, I've said this to Fresh as well. But it's the bringing the girls on and having that sort of accountability or dressing them down. That is a very popular format right now Yeah. until you have, until you get them on and then they start to own the show and they start to run the show for you, which is what was happening with Corey. Um, but also uh, has just what happened with uh, uh, Kevin Samuels and Brittany Renner. Mm-hmm. Brittany Renner came on his show uh, about a week ago, week and a half ago. And of course, she's she's been making the rounds. She was on DJ Academics. She was on some other shows as well. I think she might have been on No Jumper as well. But she's making the rounds on these, you know, you know, at least a million subbed uh, podcasts, and trying to defend herself against all the, you know, the the hate she's been getting because of the PJ Washington, you know, and having a baby and and divorcing him. And basically, she's she's certifiably insane. And I, I made that case in those videos. But here you have her sitting with Kevin Samuels and Kevin Samuels looks like he can't believe his luck. (laughs) You know, here she is just like right there. And they're trying, she's trying to be, you know, be logical about this. And he doesn't have the same fire and the same teeth that he does with most of the girls that come on his Instagram stream or anything else. He's very uh, conciliatory. He's very apologetic. He's he, in, in no way does he bring the fire and the heat that he would. Very diplomatic. Wasn't a, a celebrity sitting across from him. And it's like, yeah, that's how you can tell the difference between somebody who is do, in the red pill, in the manosphere, you know, doing what we do for, for the right reason. Right. Mm-hmm. The reason where it's like, I want to educate men. I want this is, I may, I make an example of this person. Fine. But at least have the message going when you back up off of it, <clears throat> when you want to get, let's get the ladies' opinions, that kind of stuff. When you start doing that, then that says to me, this guy's in it for the money. Got it. Okay. Um, I, I, we're coming up on like an hour here. Uh, so I, I just want, I have one more question here. And I think we can wrap up. Okay. One thing that I see a lot of guys complain about is, uh, you know, we need to hold women more accountable and all this stuff. And I, my mindset sort of is like, you know, I don't, I think we're gonna have a hard time changing women. I know, you know? where you're going with this. Keep right? going. Like Keep we on. have, Preach. Preach. We, give it to me. Amen. Well, we have, we have like, <laughs> you know, thousands of years of ev- evolution to contend with here. Like, do you think, do you think we have a shot at changing women? Cause the way I look at it is like, okay, we can only change ourselves. I think it would be better. It's, it's better time and energy spent understanding it from the male perspective and then working within the rules of the matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but do you think we have a shot at changing women? Not in the present context. I okay. would say, um, I think the, the, a lot of the guys who came before, like prior to the sexual revolution, like the generations that came before us, uh, they, I think they had a better understanding of women's nature than we do now because we have become uh, more um, compromising, more, more considerate, more sensitive, right? Because we want to believe that women can change or we want to believe that, well, we can, we can have this egalitarian utopian thing because I'm just like you and you're just like me and we're just like people and stuff like that. And it's like, no, there are gender differences that our forefathers knew about and built countries and built laws and created art and and stories and and you know whatever 
because we had a better understanding of it. Now, four generations after the sexual revolution, um, I think that you know, I'm hopeful that there are certain you know guys who are starting to get the message here. But I don't think I, another essay. There's an essay for everything, right? Sure, another sure. essay I wrote was um, educating women. And I've done a couple of essays where I've said, you know, here's an essay for women, ladies, if you want to live a better life, or if you want to understand why guys, why we think what we do here's this is the essay for you kind of thing. And in those essays, I always say men are not going to change you and they are not responsible for changing you. They don't, especially now they don't owe you a better life. Men don't owe you a better life. And so you might want to have the best of the best. And I can understand why, because you're genetically programmed via hypergamy or whatever to look for the highest value guy you can get. Is he the best I can get? Even if he's Superman, is this guy really the best I can get? And you're, we, we feed that through uh, you know, what I mentioned before, the, the female blue pill. We feed that with uh, attention. We feed that with affirmation. We feed that with social media. We inflate women's egos uh, to, uh, to a level that humanity has never before experienced right now. Um, but we want to blame society's ills or we want to say women are the way they are right now because men aren't taking responsibility. Men aren't, if men will be better than women will be better, which is horseshit. First of all, we're not responsible. Either we have free will and we have choice, we have, you know, free choice or whatever. We're, we're responsible for our choices. And if we're all going to be like, you know, we're all going to be equal and we're all going to be, uh, you know, egalitarian about things, then the, we should be egalitarian about our judgments and about our uh, the, the punishments and the consequences that come with that. But because we're human beings and the machine doesn't work that way, we're far more forgiving with women and we're far more expecting of men. We think men ought to be more responsible and that men were just more responsible than uh, you know, we could, uh, you know, we could save the West, right? Or we could, we could change the world if men would just do that. And so that sounds like it's true, but men don't have the authority to affect that responsibility right now because we're too busy giving that authority to women. And uh, so when, uh, when guys say, well, you know, how are you going to, you know, how are we going to change women? I say, we're not, women have to change women. Men are not going to change women, especially not now. Not yeah. when you look at the stats, when you look at the, the, you know, college enrollment, when you look at uh, work, uh, you know, workforce, you know, participation, when you look at all of the things that are going on right now, uh, I've done a series of the last, like, I want to say last two or three videos where I took like Matt Walsh to the, to, to the, you know, woodshed. Mm-hmm. And I've I've done the same thing with the roommates. I've done the same thing with Candace Owens. I've done the same thing with I forget the guy from the Blaze, but um, I did the um, uh, you know I, I'll say here's I understand why you think this is accurate or this should work, and I also understand why it's popular to talk about red pill issues right now yeah. because the easy answer the stu- you know, it's it's easy content to do. The easy answer is well, men just need to be men, more men and man up and stop being a little bitch, right? That doesn't help anyone. That's just Tony Robbins telling you to, you know, you know, power up, guys. Let's all jump up and down. At the, <laughs> well, the, the way the way I look at it is, uh, it's kind of like the idea of the uh, think globally, act locally, right? Like, I mean, really, in a, in a, a you know, if you're in a relationship, uh, if you're in an LCR, right, you could be more masculine. You could learn to set the tone, take the lead, maintain that frame and just do that within your, your, your one relationship. Right. And that's really all you can, all you have control over. You only have control over your own behavior. You only have control yeah. over like how you're going to do, how you're going to approach things. Yes. Um, but you have to do it. You can't do it from the perspective of, well, I'm going to change my behavior. So she'll become what I want her to be. 
And what that is, you know what that is? That's negotiating desire. Yeah. If she has no desire to submit to you. It's I not, agree with that. Yes. Then your any n- amount of negotiation, and I don't care if it's for sex or whatever. I, I always make it about sex, right? But um, whatever it is, you're still. Are you still negotiating desire? I mean, I, I said you know it's a cardinal rule of a cardinal rule of game, right? Women make rules for betas and they break rules for alphas. Right. Is she breaking rules for you because she really wants to? Because you really you're you're the one. She wants to have babies with you. She wants to marry you, not just get married. If if that's the if that's the case, if 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 she has that genuine desire, you that will be manifested in her. And it's usually as a result or a consequence, anyways, of what you are doing. Yeah. Because women fall in love with what you are, not with who you are. That's not to say that they don't later on, but when they put an emotional investment in a guy, it's what that guy is. And a lot, and for a lot of women, it never changes. It might later on. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you know, because the guys get zeroed out and suddenly she turns into somebody he never knew she could be, right? Yeah. But it's because she fell in love with what you are. And um, you are not going to educate women and women are not going to educate men. And the reason for that is because we, we approach sort of like dating advice or inter- intersexual dynamics still from a flawed perspective. And that is we, we approach it from, first, first of all, um, uh, social conditioning, like social constructionism and the blank slate. And guys will buy into this. Oh, we're equal partners. Go and watch any episode of Fresh and Fit and ask these girls and the girls who are on there damn near everyone will say, well, I make my own money and I'm, I want an equal partnership and we have a 50-50 thing. You show me that and I will show you a relationship where that woman runs the relationship because ultimately she has the pussy. Yeah. Those guys will do, you know, because and it's it's incumbent upon him to perform because men have an innate uh, burden of performance. Another concept I came up with. Right. Sure. And so I, I, I'll point that out and I say, you know, show me a, show me a relationship where you're 50 50 and I'll show you either uh, you'll be divorced and within a few years or um, she runs the show and you're just making up re- reasons as to why. You want, you, I really wanted to do those things that make us more equal. It's, no, that's not it. Yeah. Because women can't look up to a guy who is her equal. And that's what she's looking for. She's looking for a guy who is better than what she deserves. And you don't get to that and you don't educate women about that. They have to learn that on their own. You don't, yeah. otherwise you're negotiating desire. You're negotiating her into being somebody that you think she ought to be. Are you and familiar I, with, I'm sorry, are you familiar with uh, Dr. Robert Glover? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah, this one of the yeah, things don't I like me very much because I talk about hypergamy and I put him on the spot, I think. But oh, that's okay. He uh one thing that I I, I learned from him is that uh, there's only one driver's seat, right? There's only like it or not, there's only one remote for the TV. Someone's gotta take the lead, someone's mm-hmm. gotta take charge. And it, and he says that if you let a woman get in the driver's seat, she's never gonna trust you to drive again. Well, most and, women don't trust men, period. Yeah. Like generationally right now, I would say even as far back as the boomers, but uh, sure. certainly the last two, we teach women never to trust a man. And the prime directive of feminism has always been never do anything for the express purpose of pleasing that man, mm-hmm. because otherwise you betray the strong, independent woman narrative. You're not your own woman if you're doing these things for that guy. And or you're doing you're, you're dressing that way. You're talking that way. You're doing those things because you want male approval you're doing it for the pleasure of men and not for whatever your your own unique authentic reasons for doing it and that has been something that has defined generations 
up to where we're at right now. Yeah. So, so you've got that. And then you've got the idea that men cannot provide for you or are not worthy of you to provide for you or to be or like, I got my own money. Yeah. Yeah, I got my own money. Yeah. The beta buck side of hypergamy is already taken care of either through the state, through the fact that she's got a degree, she's got her own business, she's got this, or even the perception that she can do that is all that really matters. Mm-hmm. And men are either abusers, borderline abusers. They are uh, Homer Simpsons. They're like the, the, the goofy daddy that needs mommy to save him from himself, like Dr. Huxtable and everybody loves Raymond and that kind of like, yeah. he's a doofus. But, you know, he's a lovable doofus and mom, you know, oh, she has to do what she has to do. And he's basically another child in the house. And then there's the guy who's just the incompetent guy. And that's really more reserved, I think, for uh, millennials and, 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 and Gen, Gen Z right now, which is these are guys who don't know how to change a tire. They don't know how to tie a necktie. They don't know how to start a campfire. You There's know, lots of guys like that. Yeah, they're just sure. basically incompetent. Dry. They're the lost boys generation. They're the incompetent guys who don't know what to do with themselves. They're purposeless. Uh, life-wise, they're just sort of rudderless. They don't know what to where which direction to go. And so those are your three choices, ladies. So what are you going to do if those are your three choices? You're going to try to provide your own long-term security because you can't trust a man to do that. And when you get finally, you know, by an act of God or whatever else, you get into a relationship with a guy. Do you think that those women who have been primed for that for their entire lives by, you know, media and and popular culture and Pixar and Disney, do you think that they're going to go, yeah, I'm going to relinquish this this uh, power to this guy for my own personal long term security? No, they're not. What are they going to cling to? They're going to cling to egalitarian equalism. We're our equal partners in this. I'm not going to take your last name. I don't want that patriarchal vestige of ownership on me anymore, mister. We're going to play it even Steven. And the reason why she won't do that is because she doesn't trust you with her life. She doesn't trust you with her long-term security. And that's, that's, how you, that's how we get into the problems that we're in right now. After a while, the resentment sets in. She goes, I could have got somebody better because she probably could have got somebody better because there's, there's dudes that she wants to bang and then there's dudes that she wants to start a family with and they're rarely ever the same guy. So if she's yeah, already yeah. got the blue pill, uh, uh, beta buck side of hypergamy taken care of, what's left? The alpha seed side, the alpha fuck side. And so that's why they fixate on high value men and that's all that we'll ever do. And they'll you know complain about dying alone on Kevin Samuels. <laughs> And it's hard. And it's hard for guys. So you have to be like, you really, I mean, if you want to be a quote unquote high value guy, and however you define that right now, you have to be like a freaking superhero at this point. I mean, you have to be famous. You have to make a lot of money. You have to be good looking. You have to love your mom. You have to have, you know, like dogs. You won't have kids in the future. You got to, yeah. and, and do all this. And be six foot tall, V taper, six pack abs, have a ten inch cock, and sh- you're her equal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm reading. Uh, I, I don't know if you're if if you're familiar with Mark Manson. Are you familiar with Mark Manson? I'm reading yeah. his book, his book right now. And I, he, I used to like him. I, I thought his models was okay, and then yeah. he, once he got married, he kind of went the other way. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know him outside of this book, but yeah, I'm reading models and he's talking about a lot of that, like the perception of status comes down to yeah, models. Models is definitely not uh, the the art of not giving a fuck because he, <laughs> he got married, his essays and his blog and his personality and his online brand really changed. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Tucker Max. Um, you want to talk about purple pill? 
purple pill guys are like <laughs> Tucker Max is a perfect example of that, right? He's he was this outrageous bad boy. Sure. Um, you know, right, was uh, I hope they serve beer in hell is his book, and you know, um, just really a womanizer. Knocks up a girl, uh, marries the girl, and suddenly he's writing a new book called Mate or Mating Mind or something with Dr. Jeffrey Miller okay. and trying to be legitimate. And, and it, it's not, it really isn't working for him. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to pick and pull the things about the red pill that he thinks are marketable or thinks have some sort of value, but they're only things he can force fit into his lifestyle by necessity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it might not be about spinning plates or disrespecting women or this or that, but, you know, but you still got to be a man, right? That plays well with women. You still got to be a responsible, upstanding alpha male. Well, that's always going to play well with women, but it's not about, that's all responsibility and no authority. And that's been something I've been harping on for a long time right now is you won't teach women. Like you were saying before, it's like, how do you, how how do you educate women? Kind of thing. You won't educate women and you certainly won't do it until you have some authority to do so. Mm. Women don't want to listen to Homer Simpson, yeah. the borderline abuser or the incompetent guy, because you're, you're an idiot. You're just, they don't, you, you're not going to provide for them for a, a long-term commitment or a long-term future. So they've got to do it themselves. What are you going to teach them? <laughs> what can you possibly, what can come out of your mouth that would change their mind? <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I mean, I've, I've had a discussion with guys on too, is like, you can explain this stuff rationally, like the rational male, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they're very emotionally and- driven. So you really, if you want to try to, it, it, you know, you have to tug on their heartstrings somehow. I've seen oh. women that are, are vibe with them. Yeah. Be vibing. Yeah. I see, I see women. Uh, there's a lady on TikTok named uh, a manicured mom. And she's very big on men's rights and stuff like that. that down now. I don't, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to oh, go. Look yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you uh, maybe a video or something like that, but yeah. So, so her big thing is men's rights. She's uh, she's an advocate for men's rights. And the reason why she's doing it because, you know, women are very, you know, if it, if it impacts them, then they care. Right. So she's looking at it from the lens of, well, my son's never going to be able to marry if, if men are walking away. So that's you know, you know, so like the women who are, who get into like MRA, like society all have sons. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because it impacts them. Right. It's an extension uh-huh. of them. Yeah. So, I'll tell you, and I, I've, uh, I've said this before. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. I have a real problem with MRAs by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Not because I think what they're saying is they got the diagnosis right. I just think that the uh, prescription is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like name a name an MRA besides Paul Elam and maybe Dean Esme, um, name an MRA that's male. <laughs> besides those two guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can name Christina Hoff Summers. You can name Karen Strawn. You can name uh, Cassie J. Uh, what's her name? Bettina Arndt. Uh, this girl, probably Roma Army. Roma. All, of, all MRAs that I know that I've there that you can find online, female. Interesting. Why? Why is that? Because they have sons. Yeah. <laughs> and we're and we're not. And what were we just talking about? Like you know, women giving men a dating advice. Right. Why? Why? <laughs> what are you? How are you going to educate me? You're just. It's just basically complaining and brand building. That's the the thing about like uh, Christina Hoff Summers is a good example. Is she used to be like the MRA, you know, voice for men sweetheart for a long time until like uh, um, until Paul Elam disowned her. Because she got a lot of you know mainstream attention, she built her person her her own you know personal brand of me, and she didn't have any use for him anymore. I don't know if she's still a an MRA or not, but um, but 
you know, the, the MRAs have been a very useful springboard for a lot of feminists who want to, you know, incorporate men's rights into their grift. Mm. Okay. I can respect that. <laughs> well, find me a, find me a guy who's an MRA that's more recognizable than like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, no, I, I don't those think women. I can. I'd be happy to know. I don't know. Somebody tell me. Yeah. I, I don't think I can argue with you about that. Um, all right. I think, I think I'm going to let you go. I think you've given me way more time than I deserve, <laughs> but I really appreciate I'm known, it. I'm known for three and a half hour podcasts. So I, I'm not, you know what my, uh, that guy, uh, my friend Guy Gustafson that I told you about, he was like, you, you, maybe you can do a uh, part two with Rolo and uh, have this be like a four hour podcast. I'm this like, is part two. <laughs> right? This is part two brother. Oh, and then I'm also supposed to mention my friend Luke's name in this podcast episode. So there you go, Luke. Luke. <laughs> All right, Rolo, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at therationalmail.com. That's my blog. Um, also, all of my all four of my books are on Amazon. Um, just type in The Rational Mail in the search engine for Amazon. You will find all four of them. Uh, I do a podcast every, <laughs> a three-hour and 30-minute podcast every uh, Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And then I have my Clips channel, which is my good friend Tom clips up for me. And uh, you can, if, if three hours is a little exhaustive for you, you can watch the clips, which are usually only like eight to 15 minutes, somewhere around there, a little more palatable. Um, I, uh, I do a lot of live stuff with, with, uh, fresh and fit. I do live stuff with, uh, George Gammon. I do all kinds of different, different things, uh, going on. I'm also, uh, a member, as you know, of, uh, rule zero, which is every Saturday morning at 1130 AM, it sort of rotates as to who hosts it. So that's been going on for, God, I can't believe it. I'm going to two and a half years. We've been doing this. Um, and then, um, I'm working on a fifth book right now as well. Um, if you want to find me, if uh, you want to talk to me, you want to throw rocks at me you can always find me on twitter i'm rolo tomasi at rational at the rational mail and uh i'm on i have a patreon i am on instagram just look me up i'm pretty easy to find great well thanks a lot rollo i really appreciate this you got it anytime rollo once again thank you for taking the time to meet with an up-and-coming creator i really appreciate it it's going to you know help me out more than you know you probably know i mean you you uh you seem to do this quite a bit with up and coming creators you sort of uh you know put your your stamp on them in whatever way that is um i learned a lot from you today there was a lot of stuff that you broke down i never really thought of before i know some of the stuff that you talked about are in your books uh but i've only read your books once so i guess i better get back to work and uh, and read them again. I'm I'm definitely going to read religion. That's been on my list for a while now. But if I if I ever show you guys my book list, it's ridiculously long. <laughs> I've got I've got all the books that I want to read on there, and then all the books that I read multiple times, like stacked in there. So it just create makes this list that's impossibly long. And uh, but it's good. Keeps me busy. Keeps my mind working as it should be. And uh, I, what I would recommend to anybody who who listened to this episode, uh, you know, listen to Rolo, listen to anything that I talk about. I I I would like to invite you guys all to, you know, take notes from all sorts of different minds in this space, like all sorts of different creators, all all sorts of different authors, 
in this quote manosphere, you know, take what's useful, right? Take what's useful. Maybe, you know, if, if you don't like something or if you're not getting the results you need from something, maybe don't, don't do that. But, you know, honestly, the stuff that Rollo talks about, and I've, and I've, I've been guilty of it in the past too, where I, I feel like sometimes it comes across as negative. You like, I can't argue against it though. Right. Like Rollo's information is spot on. And especially when you look at it at, at scale, when I, I had uh, Paul Benjamin on a few weeks ago, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that Rollo's looking at the, the praxeology it's, it's at scale, right? It's not looking at your individual girlfriend. So you have to sort of keep that stuff in mind and have a rational, <laughs> see what I did there? A rational mind about this stuff. But you can absolutely take what Rollo says, take all this information from all these aspects, you know, all these places in the manosphere and implement it in your life. In, in a way that that fits you well. I, and I think like Rolo said it well in this episode, it's a, it should be a tool set that you can use in your individual life, however it fits in there. All right. That was awesome. And I appreciate, I appreciate you guys listening. Rolo again, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll see you guys not only next week, but next year. Have a happy new year, guys. Thank you for listening to come on, man. If you are new to the podcast, I highly recommend reading How to Be a 3% Man by Corey Wayne at least 10 to 15 times. I recommend you watch his coaching videos on YouTube, and I recommend that you engage with other 3% men in our 3% Man Facebook group. Links to all of these are in the show notes. If you like this episode, please give us a good rating on your favorite podcast platform of choice and share with all of your bros. Now go out and get it.